Hi, welcome to the Romance Me podcast. This is Erica. And I'm Em. And we'd like to say a special hello to our number one and only fan, Mal. Bad. In the Latin. I still think this is like an Illuminati thing. No, it's really not. I'm starting to feel, I'm starting to feel worried. (laughs) You can continue to feel worried. I'll enjoy that, but... (laughs) Are you communicating with our... With our lizard overlord. (laughs) If only. Today we'll be discussing An Extraordinary Union by Alyssa Cole. L. Burns is a former slave with an eidetic memory working for Lincoln's Loyal League during the Civil War when she meets fellow undercover agent Malcolm McCall. Pretending to be sympathetic to the Southern cause, Pinkerton detective Malcolm uses his jovial charm and develops a, quote, friendship with a Confederate senator's family to help achieve northern victories, and Elle keeps up her subterfuge of mute slavery to gain otherwise inaccessible intel. While she spies and he lies, they consider forming a union of their own. But can she trust him? We have a content warning for slavery and discussion and threats of rape. There will be spoilers beyond this point. Well, Erica, how's Elle doing when we first meet her? So this story takes place during the United States Civil War. We meet Elle in a prologue in 1861. She is an ex-slave. Her and her parents were freed when she was, I think, pretty young. Yeah. She's basically been a part of the abolitionist movement from that point forward. She has an eidetic memory, so she's able to remember basically everything she sees and hears. And when she was younger, she kind of got trotted out as a display of talent, I suppose. Like, look, black people are smart because she can remember everything. See, they are worth freeing. Yes. That's kind of the impression I got. (laughs) Yeah. Um... (laughs) I think it's a little different, like, with, like, with her parents doing it. I think it was more, like, pride in their child. Yeah, probably. But then when I think when she joins the Loyal League, it's it's a combination of things. Some people use it to further abolitionist causes, while other members, I think it's more of a to further the Loyal League's cause, not necessarily, and Lincoln's aims, mm-hmm. which may or may not be the same thing yeah and one of the reasons she is considered an asset to the loyal league is because of the memory and she even got kind of tested i think when she first signed up she was given the art of war and was told to like read it and then recite it word for word and of course she was able to (laughs) yeah i'm jealous i've read the art of war twice now (laughs) i can't recite it word for word I'm lucky if I remember like a third of it. Yeah, that's a good element in this story, honestly, is all the little quotes and snippets of literature throughout. Yeah. Not only does she remember everything, but she links it all together and synthesizes it with her experience of the world and all that. It's part of her. It's not just like a trick, you know, it's not a photo album that she pulls out. Or, or like how they portray it in movies or TV shows where, you know, someone's like thinking and they're like flicking through a screen or something, only it's in their brain. I like the way her memory is portrayed because it is, it's, it's a part of her. <laughs> She's kind of salty about it too. She, she appreciates that she has it, 
But she also is kind of, I think, salty about the fact that that's the reason she's considered valuable. Because not only is she black, but she's a woman. So, you know, she's got two strikes against her already in Civil War era United States. Yes. (laughs) We meet her... Like I said, in a prologue, she's running ciphers to someone else. She's supposed to meet up with this other person and give them this information and then move on. I I kind of envision it like um, it's kind of like a relay race, I think. That's how I pictured it. While she's there, there's like this, I guess, kind of like an insurrection of rebels. And keep in mind, the rebels are the racist bad dudes. Yes. The Confederate sympathizers. It's not like Star Wars where we like the rebels. The secessionists <laughs> or secesh, as they were saying in the book. She kind of gets spotted and grabbed by a guy who's very scary. German dock worker. He's like yelling at her, trying to figure out why did you run to that guy? Why are you here? Like trying to figure out like what she's doing in the middle of this whole thing. And she like, <laughs> why did you approach that man? Yeah, I actually really appreciated this. She's pretty ballsy because she she pretends to be like kind of meek and soft. And then she punches him in the kidney (laughs) and runs away. But before she gets very far, she gets hit by, I think, a brick. Yeah, that's the impression I got. And injured and she faints. And so she doesn't really know how she got rescued or anything, but she woke up fine. Which must be really disconcerting for her since she's so confident in her mental capabilities that for her to not know. That's a good point. I didn't even really think about that, but you're right. (laughs) (laughs) I think that would be especially bad if you're used to remembering everything. Yeah, I I imagine that was really disorienting (laughs) for her and not in a fun way. But she wakes up with her boss there and she's recovering and she ends up healing, but she gets like a scar like near her clavicle from this injury that she received. So fast forward like seven-ish months or whatever to January 1862, Richmond, Virginia, where we start out with the actual story. (laughs) Well, that was prologue and Um, this is... What, log? Yeah, the prologue actually, okay, so I don't know. Did you figure it out right away? You probably did. But I was like, this is the meat cute, isn't it? And it was. (laughs) (laughs) I think my record shows that I'm usually bad at figuring out when the meat cute is or when a lot of things are supposed to be what they are. I, I did figure it out, but I mean... I just sort of figured, well, of course he rescues her. Yeah, I was like, that can't be him, can it? Can (laughs) it? But, I mean, it had to be because the way the author wrote it it was like, he saw her when no one else was actually paying attention to her. Yeah. And the fact that a white dude noticed a black person was like a big deal to her. She noticed his interest and was suspicious of him. I think they they yeah. they had different reactions to one another, to say the least. I think he was he was intrigued. Yeah, and meanwhile she's like, um, why are you looking at me? Don't look at me. I am trying to be small and invisible. Leave me alone. Look away, person. <laughs> look away. Nothing to see here. Okay. <laughs> so now we're in Virginia and Elle is working undercover as a slave in the household of a Confederate senator, Senator Caffrey. 
she's not their slave. She's working as like a hired out slave. So like her supposed master has put her up for hire and then they pay the master to have her work for them. Well, quote unquote pay. Well, they pay the master, right? Well, oh, yeah, that's true. They would pay. Yeah, they would pay. I hate saying this. It really galls, but her owner... Let's say you have a stable of horses. I mean, that's not a bad analogy for the time. Like, And you it's... loan your horses to another farm and they pay you for the use of those horses. That's basically what it is. It's definitely how they think of it. Yeah. And it's gross and horrible. Yeah, the level of tension in my body is extreme at this point. <laughs> The author does a really, really good job, I think, throughout of showing how horrible it is, especially, I think, in this genre. Yeah, no, I think Cole did an exceptionally good job. The other thing that really struck me about this assignment is that, you know, she's she's working undercover as a slave, but she's not really like she she's basically a slave. Like, yeah, <laughs> she moved to Virginia <laughs> where she's legally recognized as a slave. I think in Richmond at the time, you could have free people. But she didn't have papers or anything like that because she's undercover. Yeah, well, she doesn't. But I'm just saying they're... Uh, I don't know. Ugh. Yeah, I don't know how how it was in 1862 in Richmond, Virginia. But... that's pretty north for the south, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think in the eyes of the law in the area... Even if they had papers, it didn't matter the papers were literally like not worth the paper that they were printed on yeah it, it didn't it depended on who who found you <laughs> i'm not sure if i'm articulating that well but no you're right because the papers could be trash ba depending on who who looked at them yeah unless they had like a white person that would essentially help them out it didn't matter not in the south and it barely mattered in the north in a lot of ways well that's part of why i felt it was really important to get the thing about her being a a trick pony for the abolitionist movement out of the way right up front oh yeah because even in the north the attitude toward black people was was like well they're they shouldn't be slaves but they're not like us northern sentiments <laughs> We're not pro, pro black people, pro anything other than pro themselves. Yeah, it's it's not like up in the north, you know, we had a bunch of biracial couples and. <laughs> no, I think, in fact, <laughs> is it Elle that mentions or Malcolm that mentions the one biracial couple that they know, like a German immigrant Malcolm. and a former slave? So I'm trying to remember, I mean, if. It might have been someone, because I got the impression it was someone in Canada, but I'm not sure. Oh, maybe, because what is it? I think Malcolm lives in Kentucky. So it's important to note, <laughs> I feel, that while Elle is, is technically a free woman pretending to be a slave, she is being treated exactly like a slave would be treated. Yeah. Yes, no, she is not recognized to have any levels of freedom. She is also pretending to be mute, which is helping her with her subterfuge because she's very sassy. Yes. And she does <laughs> not think like a slave. I think part of being freed so young and being raised around other free, free people like her, she didn't incorporate like that 
I don't even know what you would call it, but like that mentality, the servile demeanor. No, her psychology is different. And so she kind of gets in a little bit of trouble sometimes because, you know, she'll look at people maybe a little too long or roll her eyes or, you know. So being being a, quote, mute helps her out in that way. Yeah, I think if I remember correctly, her boss decided that because he was like, no, no, you're going to get into trouble. Better you just don't say anything. (laughs) (laughs) She's she's kind of friends with the slave who's like in charge of the household whose name is Mary. Mary has kind of taken her under her wing a bit, treats her in a friendly, almost motherly fashion, even though Mary is also pretty young. She also has a contact in the house whose name is Timothy, who's also a slave or posing as a slave. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like it's bad to say posing as a slave because when they're in Virginia, they're slaves. Like it's, sad and terrible yeah but the lines are very very blurry (laughs) yeah you know i understand what you're saying so anyway as she is working in the dining room getting dinner set up or whatever a rebel soldier comes in he's wearing the gray uniform remember this is not star wars we do not like rebels (laughs) in this story at all they are terrible horrible racist jerks And that's being kind. That is being kind. (laughs) He starts talking to her like she's a person and telling her how pretty she is and all this. And she's like starting to freak out because she's like, like the threat of rape is ever present for her. (laughs) Yeah. Again, she is a thing in this household. He's approaching her. She's backing up. She's feeling trapped. And then she kind of decides, okay, fine. I'm going to do what I have to do to continue working for my country. Yep. Anything for the union. Yeah. And he kind of sees the shift in her behavior and he realizes what she thinks. And he's all, I would never. And he backs off immediately. He appreciates the moment and is like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. She runs off. Like she starts speed walking out. And as she's walking out, she runs into the daughter Like, literally runs into the daughter of the senator, Susie, and knocks her off her feet. Which is just, again, I mean, she could get get killed over that. (laughs) Yes, for far less offensive things than that, too. Yeah. Susie gets picked up and she just... Susie is such a hateful person. She's... Oh, my God. (laughs) Yes, it's very easy to dislike her. And you almost enjoy disliking her. Elle pretends to be sorry and she's like kneeling and like, you know, trying to help her up. And Susie says, get away from me, you clumsy thing. Mute, stupid. And now it seems she's blind too, because if she's not, then that means she knocked me over on purpose. And Elle is just like, oh shit. And she's like looking over at the senator and his wife like, okay, well, are you gonna like kill me or whip me or what horrible thing is going to happen to me for touching your daughter? Yes. (laughs) But the rebel soldier speaks up for her. Oh, it was an accident. I told her to go get me a drink of water. I was so thirsty. That's why she was hurrying so much. It's my fault. And then that kind of allows um, Mrs. Caffrey, the senator's wife, to, to kind of paint it like, well, you know, she's simple. Yeah. Remember what the reverend says. Our slaves are like our children. They know no more than a babe. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) And then she says, do you get mad when Brutus knocks you over? Who is 
Brutus the dog. Yeah, the neighbor's wild dog. So compared to a dog. Yep, that's where they're at. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have enough yucks. (laughs) As she's in the kitchen, she meets up with Timothy, who is one of her contacts. So he knows who she is and that she can talk and everything. And he gives her um, a message that she needs to go pick up a package near the bluff at dusk. She indicates that she can do it. And so he leaves. There's this one part where she's like thinking to herself, at least it's not so bad here at the Caffrey's. They don't whip easily. And and then she like catches herself. And there's this quote that I highlighted that says, was a few weeks all it took to start losing yourself then to start rationalizing away the abomination of slavery so that she could think of people like the Caffrey's as quote, not so bad. <laughs> So the Stockholm Syndrome, I think, is setting in a little bit. Yeah. Meanwhile, we get into Malcolm's head. Malcolm is the rebel soldier from earlier, and he's actually also a spy. He is a Scottish immigrant, grew up in the U.S., and he is a detective for Pinkerton's Secret Service, and he is very successful. Mm-hmm. He's good at what he does. One of the reasons he's so successful is that he's very good at being like congenial, charming, and getting people to like him. And he's got like this little mental catchphrase throughout the book. He has like this moment where we're in his head and he's thinking about how you have to get someone to trust you. And then once you do, then you have them. And so throughout the book, as he gets people's trust, he thinks in his head, gotcha. Yes. <laughs> He's hooked them. (laughs) Which I really like. (laughs) I really appreciated it because throughout the whole book, Elle doesn't trust him. And then at the very end, she does. And he's like, gotcha. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And it was pretty cute and sweet. Yes, it was. But meanwhile, right now, he has to pretend he likes Susie, the terrible excuse for a human being. Yes, because he wants information. Yes. He wants info. He needs to get in good with the Caffreys. Susie is very, I don't know what you would call it, flirtatious, I guess, with... Yeah, she's pretty... With every man, really. Yeah, Susie's really bold. Yeah, I kind of wondered at that. Like, I wonder about the historical accuracy of it because I'm, I, I don't know. Not a professional historian, but my understanding is she was really crossing social lines. We're still at a time period where young unmarried women would have to be escorted places. They'd have to be chaperoned. I think, you know, during that time period in the Civil War with blockades, with young men being off at war, I think maybe the rules started to lax in certain certain settings. I mean, she is at home. But yeah, I mean, I think so to a point too. she's pushed to do it by her mother because there is that scene we see of her talking with her mother and her mother is scolding her and telling her that if she's going to ever find a husband, she's going to have to try harder. Yeah. And there aren't a lot of available men. And oh, look, he's wearing gray. He's sympathetic to our viewpoint. Blah, blah, blah. You know, I kind of glossed over it, but I think it's important to mention about uh, Malcolm's background with the Scottish thing is that... Oh, the clearing? During this time period, yeah, that's when, is it England took over Scotland and, like, basically kicked them out of their own country? Mm -hmm. So 
Yeah, his his backstory is pretty fucked up too. Yes, cruelty, <laughs> cruelty can happen anywhere. Should we mention what happened to his mom? Especially with how he and Elle met. Like, that's why he's additionally disgusted. Yeah, we probably should. So, do you want to tell it or shall I? Do you know how much I love talking about this stuff? I mean, I can talk about it, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) I'll do it. It's okay. Aren't these fun topics? Rape and slavery. Um... (laughs) I highlighted it. It's all right. I'll talk yeah, about it's it. Fine. <laughs> so Malcolm's getting ready to go meet the person he's supposed to meet at the bluff at dusk. And he's thinking about the encounter he had with Elle earlier in the day and about how she thought he was going to rape her and how horrible he felt about it and how angry he is about it. And he has like this memory of when he was young, his mother got gang raped by a bunch of English guys who kicked them out of their home. Yeah, like while his dad was what at the blacksmith three or something like his dad was essentially out at work. And so the English assholes showed up and kicked them off their land and for good measure, raped a lot of their women. And poor little Malcolm wasn't able to to protect or save his mom. And so... Yeah, his mom says, leave me be or at least have the decency to send my boy away. Yeah. And she actually gets pregnant from yeah. this. Because isn't biology fun? <laughs> but sadly, his father, I think, was overcome with guilt initially because he wasn't there to protect his wife and also jealousy because she was used by other men yeah i think he's he's got a lot going on in his own head and i don't know if we necessarily get as good a inroad there as as may have been helpful for understanding because he does eventually kill himself he took to drinking when he's drunk he says some pretty vile things like aren't you sure you didn't enjoy it yeah terrible horrible shit like that that you should never say to a survivor no ever yeah and then he does end up killing himself which (laughs) honestly i'm kind of (laughs) glad oh (laughs) well i think their family life improved unfortunately or fortunately i'm not really sure i i think it's one of those things that i wish his dad just handled it better but of course at the time that wouldn't necessarily i don't know it there wasn't therapy no no there was drinking not that therapy would fix it (laughs) (laughs) but it might help him reframe it it's tricky with that and with kind of the story as a whole is like you sit there thinking well how much of it is the norm for the time period and how much yeah would be who a person is regardless nature versus nurture yeah like i always think about it or history in terms of like yes there's the norm for the time period there's like you talk about like the normal meter Mm -hmm. their normal meter was in a completely different place than than our normal meter is here and now oh yeah for sure however i always think about like in school when you learned about like ancient egypt and their ruler was supposed to be you know selected by was it Ra, you know their deity and whatnot and i'm like okay so there isn't one guy in the crowd that's like thinking bullshit <laughs> he's not all like rah rah sispumba you know like he doesn't drink the kool-aid uh it's it's so tricky like how much of it is 
normal for then versus people's internal. Well, and the other thing too is how much of it is an how much of it is an emperor's new yeah. clothes type of deal. Like people who are afraid to say that they see the truth for whatever exactly. reason. Exactly. And at what point does that line between like thought and action when does that cross over into okay, well that person's bad then. Yeah. Because I I tend to be I tend to be a very black and white thinker. I try not to be, but I tend that way. And I like to put people in little boxes like, well, you're evil and you're awesome. Am I a black and white thinker? And <laughs> less so, okay. I think. I feel like I can ask you because you know me. I mean, me. you definitely have that line. <laughs> I think you have the evil bin. <laughs> like, eventually people get tossed in there, but. <laughs> yes, I do have an evil bin. They're <laughs> of unknown size. <laughs> <laughs> That's more of a pit, really, for you. Really big But the thing (laughs) is that people aren't good or evil. They're they're multifaceted. They are. And the only way we have to determine how we perceive them is through their actions. And behaviors alone don't dictate the good or the bad of someone, but they can be a good indicator. But then it gets sticky, too, because there's the... Because there's there's a part later in the story where Malcolm has a has a potential to claim Elle like publicly or not publicly, but you know what I mean. Like, yeah, I'm with her type of thing. And he doesn't because it would ruin his cover. Yeah. She understands that, but at the same time, it really fucking sucks. Yeah. And is hurtful. Yeah, it just it highlights the suckiness of that reality. But his action isn't, I mean, that doesn't match his thought whatsoever. And he struggles with that throughout the story, I think. I think it is hard for him. I think it, well, I think it was always hard for him. But I think it's harder for him now that he has a person that he cares about who's in that situation. Like someone where it's a personal thing. Yeah. And isn't that just like everyone? Like, Yeah, of course. Like, oh, well, when you know someone who is of that group, then all of a sudden you're much more sympathetic. Whatever that group is. No, it makes sense. (laughs) And so while he thinks slavery is an abomination and rape is a horrible sin, they turn from ideas into like an actual person for him. Yeah, it galvanizes him in a way that he wasn't galvanized before. It's personal. Mm -hmm. For him, it's personal. Whereas for Elle, it's her reality. Yeah. (laughs) Fast forward to dusk. They meet up on the bluffs. They didn't know they were meeting each other, but they were. Tee-hee. And this is our second meet cute, I suppose. We meet cute? I know you didn't like it when I put that in the notes. <laughs> no, I don't like that. Poke, poke. Malcolm really struggles to like to hold himself at a professional distance with her like immediately. He is just so like entranced, I think, with who she is and how she is and he he's just instantly love struck. Yeah, he's like she's amazing and I'm into it. And when she talks to him, he is like so like overwhelmed because prior to this, he thought she was mute and was longing to know what her voice sounds like. And so when he actually hears her voice, he's like, oh, yes, I am all about this. He's smitten really early on. Like, he wants to recite poetry to her. And I think he even does. And then later, of course, he finds out she has all the poetry in her head already. And he's like, oh, I guess I guess I wasn't exceptional for you. Sorry. (laughs) 
Poor buddy. I actually really appreciated it. He always he he always manages to say the right thing. He has the opportunity of either looking like an ass or being appreciative of who she is. And he always ends up appreciative. Yes. Good job, Malcolm. Gold star. <laughs> Which is nice. <laughs> that shouldn't be like an unusual thing, but unfortunately, it so often <laughs> is. He is the exception, not the rule. <laughs> he finds out about her her memory, and he's just like, wow, you're even better than I thought. Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, instead of being extra, extra special, you're extra, extra, yes, extra so special So many cherries now. on top. <laughs> <laughs> they don't actually uh, share any intel, I think, at this point. It's more of like a meeting where now they're aware they have the possibility to work together to do stuff. Yes, you have an ally. And we also get some backstory to... Elle tells Malcolm about her past, like growing up, moving to Massachusetts and how her father wanted them to go all the way to Canada and her mother was tired of running. She even made a trip to Liberia to see if she wanted to repatriate, but it didn't work out for her. Like it didn't feel like home to her and she wanted to make her country better. She feels like it's not good enough leaving and going somewhere where I'm treated like I'm normal and human. I want to be treated like I'm normal and human in the place that feels like home. Fair enough. She doesn't tell him at this point, but she does tell him later. But during this conversation, she thinks a lot about her friend Daniel, who grew up free. And they had a brief affair, but he loved her more than she loved him, basically. Yes, the feels were not the same. When he asked her to marry him, she was like, I can't be a good wife to you. I'm going to go fight for the union. Love you. Bye. See ya. But then he ended up, he ended up getting captured. Yeah. And at this point in the story, she doesn't know what happened to him. Later, we find out that he's being sold in Virginia and Malcolm is able to contact some people who are able to purchase him and then free him once again. He's basically rescued off screen. Yeah, because I think if my memory serves, like he lived in Massachusetts, like he was born free and everything else. So when some Southerners come up and basically just grab him and take him back to, or not take him back because he was never from there, but take him to the South to be a slave. Yeah, the slavers. The assholes? The slavers. The assholes. I'm sticking by asshole. I think they're synonyms. (laughs) Yeah, she's especially worried about him being enslaved because he was born free. He just, he doesn't have a real idea of what that's like. While they're talking, while Elle and Malcolm are talking, um, some other people start coming up the hill. And so they hide in the brush and they have to get very close. They snuggle. And they're very aware of each other's bodies. Yes, Malcolm has told her that she's safe with him and that he'll protect her. But she kind of knows that that's kind of a bit of lip service. Uh, How well are you going to protect me when your boner is poking me in my butt (laughs) while I'm hiding in the brush with you? Not only that, but she she appreciates that she's not really safe no matter what he says. Well, the thing is, and this is a good quote that I highlighted also, because he talks about how he's into her and he has no ulterior motives and 
she's thinking, it angered her that he could speak of the possibility of more so casually. But of course he could. For men like him, an infatuation with a black woman would be seen as a lark. But the ways it could ruin her were endless. Yes. So she could just be a piece of strange for him or a weird kink or a, a sex toy. Yeah, which that's actually brought up in the book. The the fancy maids. Yeah. Pardon me while I go throw up. So throughout this part of the story, you know, they run into each other a couple times. Every time they run into each other, Malcolm's like, ooh la la, sexy lady. And Elle's like, hands off. Yes. Keep thy distance. Leave me alone. We are not to be together. <laughs> not to say she's not interested because she is. Yes. She doesn't want to be. She doesn't trust his motives. And she also feels, I think, I think they use the term uh, race traitor. Yeah. She's concerned that she'll be perceived as a race traitor. Yeah, she, I forget, there's a laundry list of things that she has going in her head. And that's one of them, like negative associations with her attraction to Malcolm. Yeah. And it's been, you know, beaten into her head from a very young age by all the women in her life that white guys are no good yes it doesn't matter if they try to seduce you or if they rape you they're all the same yep there is inherent danger and meanwhile malcolm's thoughts kind of range more towards like i hate that i have to seduce Susie when i'd really rather be seducing al his conundrum is just a little bit different <laughs> Also, I'm a jerk for pushing her, even though I want more. I should leave her alone, but I'm not going to. Yes, I should not, but... (laughs) So at one point, she is out with Susie. Susie's shopping, and they're in a carriage. Malcolm has joined them because Susie has insisted. He has to now to keep up his appearances. The horse pulling the carriage is startled by a loud noise and runs and jostles everything. And then the carriage gets broken. They get out and they're all just, you know, Susie's pissed. She's yelling at the the slave who was driving the carriage. She's just PO'd. Another carriage is approaching that has rebel soldiers in it. They end up giving Susie and the guy who was driving the carriage, the slave who was driving the carriage, a ride. Elle and Malcolm are left alone with the broken down carriage waiting to get picked up. And Malcolm sits in the carriage with her because it's snowy and he claims it's for warmth or whatever. And at this point in the story, she remembers where she met him before. Yes. Because he asks her about the scar on her neck and she's all, wait a second. You're that dock worker back in Baltimore that insinuated I was a whore and then threatened me. <laughs> I remember you. <laughs> and he, he at this point now figured out who she is. Oh, that's why I'm so attracted to her. <laughs> he apologizes. And then they're talking about info and she asks him if he has uh, note-taking supplies and he says of course i do not all of us are blessed with a memory like yours (laughs) and she says you get to walk the streets unaccosted flirt as you please with whomever you please and generally carry yourself with an air of omnipotence even if what you know could fit in a thimble i on the other hand can remember every chamber pot i've scrubbed at the caffrey household 
What a blessing. (laughs) 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 And he says, like, the thing he's stuck on is a thimble? (laughs) Truly? (laughs) But she frequently, throughout the story, puts him in his place, you know? He says something, and she's all, actually, this is what reality is. Yes. Your reality (laughs) is not the only reality. Some of us (laughs) have a much different life. So she shares some intel with him about the batteries that he found interesting as they were riding in the carriage before they got stuck. And he asks her, well, how did you get all this information? And she says, who do you think made the batteries, not the white guys? Like, they got their slaves to do it, (laughs) dumbass. And she says, they built the means of protecting the city that enslaves them. You said yesterday that you knew my people weren't inferior. Have you tried passing on that information to your fellow man? (laughs) Are you just keeping that to yourself in like a warm, dry place? (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) Yeah, that that brings a whole nother like side to the whole story, too, which we don't delve into too far in this book, but I felt was good that there was some of it in there. The fact, the reminder that the people who were enslaved were doing all the dirty work of the war that was keeping them enslaved. Yeah. She tries to threaten him with a knife that she has strapped to her thigh. Unfortunately, showing him the knife means showing him her leg. He is much more enticed by the leg. Yeah, I think he's he's willing to take the knife, isn't he? Like, stab me, it's fine. Let me just... <laughs> yeah, she like is holding the knife and he takes it, positions it over his heart and like grabs her hand and he's like pushing it into himself. And he's like, you may scorn me, but if you doubt me, if you cannot trust that I mean what I say to you, I'm already a dead man. That's a very intense moment. <laughs> She replies, if your life expectancy rests on my opinion of you, I hate to tell you this, but you haven't very much longer to live. (laughs) Then he apologizes again for sexy touching her earlier, which is good. She puts the knife away. She tells him he's dramatic. He's like, duh. Hell yeah, I'm dramatic, baby. (laughs) He's a drama llama. (laughs) And then he leaves the carriage and waits outside I love this quote. I highlighted this book all over the place. I love this quote too. She busied herself with recalling the entirety of the art of war until Rebus returned. (laughs) Dude, I wish. Like, if I could reread a book just by thinking. I know. I can do that with movies, not with books, though. But thankfully, I can discard the ones I don't like. Yay, not eidetic memory. (laughs) We get to meet McTavish. McTavish is another contact for Elle, and she introduces Malcolm to him and says, if you don't have a way to get your intel up north, this is someone you can, you know, get it to. He'll pass it on for you. He quote unquote plays at being a drunk. Yeah. Well, McTavish is a drunk. Yeah. But it also means nobody's threatened by him because I guess he's not one of those drunks. And he is, he's very suspicious of Malcolm. Like he'll take Elle's word that Malcolm is, is okay, but he's definitely on Elle's side. Like he trusts Elle. He doesn't trust Malcolm. And fair enough. He knows Elle. 
He doesn't know Malcolm. Yeah, and Malcolm's wearing gray, so. But they go into McTavish's back room and share notes. His are basically a summary. Hers are basically word-for-word recounts of conversations. (laughs) (laughs) He is super impressed by this. He tells her she's incredible. She replies with, I know. (laughs) I love you. I know. (laughs) you know she's thinking about the letters and like making connections between his intel and her intel and she's almost on the verge of a connection and then he's like i want to apologize again she's like um connections (laughs) she's like i'm thinking right now excuse you aren't they in like mctavish's like back room or whatever like they're not out in public yeah they're in his back office they're having a moment of privacy yeah but as he's reading this stuff Because she recounts, like, how she's talked of, too. Like, what people have said about her and stuff. She's recounting the entirety of everything that she heard. And he's reading this, and it's just hitting home for him in a way that it never did before. And he says to her, how can you stand it? How can you not be bursting with anger? And she replies, where would that get me, this righteous anger you speak of? And then he has the thought... He, he'd always prided himself as a friend and ally to every man who sought equality, but was that true or had he imagined himself a savior instead? And he says, you deserve to be outraged. All of your people do. Why didn't you set this country ablaze a hundred years ago is beyond me. And she says, because we don't have the luxury of being outraged. If we rebelled and set half the country on fire, where would that leave us? You think that would make folks see us as more human? Fair point. She's just very, she's very, very angry, very passionate. He asks her to help him understand. And she says, we don't want revenge. We want life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Just like any damned fool in the United States is entitled to so long as he isn't black or red. So you can keep your outrage. All I can do is try try to make a difference yes go l do you feel like when when malcolm was saying like why didn't you guys like essentially light half the country on fire do you feel like that's almost a little victim blamey which it hadn't occurred to me before that it might i could see how it could get perceived that way but i think he's trying to put himself in her shoes yeah no i think he's trying to understand like I'm what would he curious. do i just have yeah the curiosity. i don't know like that's such a weird line to draw isn't yeah. it I think if he said you should have set half the country on fire, that would be victim blaming. Yeah, there's there's more judgment in that, I think. And I think it depends, too, on the context. I think in this context, it isn't. But if it were in a different conversation, asking it that way would be victim blaming. But again, I'm not an ex-slave in the late 1800s, so. Yeah, it's. I can't say. It's hard to appreciate all the mindsets. Of the characters, for better or for worse. I liked this conversation, though, because it it was very impassioned, and I hope that it hits the right notes for everyone who reads it, because I don't want it to sound... Me too. Yeah. I'm worried it almost sounds, like, too try-hard. I didn't read it that way, but reading it again, it's like, I don't know... It's very speechy. And it's hard when you're rereading something too. You know what I mean? Like first impressions versus not. Yeah. When I read it the first time, I mean, I am a U.S. citizen, born and raised. I don't always agree with the politics of my country, but I love my country. And this was one of those like, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Yay. Sort of moments. I wish it were true. Still. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> at what point will it actually be true <laughs> at any rate her 
her impassioned speech gets him going and he kisses her. It's very soft, fairly, fairly chaste, but then she kisses him back and then it turns into like kind of virgin on making out and then she catches herself and she's like actually mctavish could step in any moment here so goodbye <laughs> i'm going back to work and he says i hope i can see you again soon <laughs> <laughs> and she's all do not hope to see me again <laughs> i've already told you this cannot be and yet you persist and he's like but you kissed me back woman <laughs> don't read too much into it She's like, it was a distraction, nothing more. And she says, get this fool idea out of your head, McCall. I will not have you. Same I am. And he's just like so like screwed up over this. Like he he has never been rejected before. And he's repeatedly rejected by this woman over and over and over again. (laughs) (laughs) And it is fucking him up inside. (laughs) And he's just like. I know I'm not entitled to anything. Everything in the world conspires against anything being possible between us, but the world can go screw. And he's very impassioned about this and like, fuck the world. We should be together. And she says, the world can go screw indeed. It is I who says we shouldn't be together. (laughs) She's like, excuse you. the world. I said, no. (laughs) If you think I'm equal to you, then I'm allowed to say no. And I said no. Exactly. Who cares what the world says? Although she does kind of care what the world says. The world is a force. There's a point where some of the intelligence that Elle has passed along turns out to have been bad intel and she learns that she is responsible for getting people killed or at least that's the way she views it. She only shared it with Malcolm. She didn't share it with anyone else until she passed it on and so she immediately is like, was it you? Yeah. Because he's so good at lying. This happens again in McTavish's <laughs> uh, shop. What's well, one of the places they can go to be themselves? He sees her there. He's all, he's like a happy little puppy. He's like, oh, it's my person. And she like pulls a gun on him and like pushes him <laughs> into the back room. <laughs> Things took a turn. <laughs> yeah, he's like, okay, well, at least I'll get killed by the woman I love. You're a little too Romeo and Juliet, dude. (laughs) You've read that play way too many times. He says, is this the first time you ever got bad intel? You know, and he relays a time when he passed along bad intel and how he felt about it and how responsible and crappy he felt. And it reads as true to her. She wants to trust him and she does trust him in spite of herself, but she also still wants to hold him at arm's length. Yeah. He doesn't have her. He hasn't experienced that gotcha moment yet. No. Which should concern him considering she had a gun on him, but I guess it doesn't. No, he he's like, you know what? If you're going to kill me, you might as well just get it over <laughs> with. Put me out of my misery. He's a little emo in that moment. I mean, he was emo in the carriage with the knife pointed in his heart. <laughs> I mean, come on. That's true. <laughs> he's been emo from... <laughs> from the beginning he's oh he's the happiest emo kid ever malmo (laughs) oh that's terrible that is so bad but he's comforting her and then he asks her if she's still planning on killing him and if so she probably needs some reinforcements to carry out his body (laughs) (laughs) and she says which i thought you would appreciate especially um 
She says, not if I chop you into pieces first. I can dress a deer lickety split. (laughs) You know me too well. (laughs) But then she initiates a kiss with him. He asks her what she wants and she says she wants comfort. And he asks her to be more specific. And that's when she kisses him. He's into it. You know, he starts rounding the bases, man. Yeah, he's like, ooh, green light? Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So he's, like, masturbating her and, like, is this good for you? Is this enough? And she's, like, okay with it. He's all about it. She doesn't tell him no and she doesn't stop him. But, I mean, we know she's into it. Oh, yeah. The, The author makes it clear that this is a consensual act. She comes. It's amazing. And then right after, she's like, we shouldn't have done that. You made me feel good. This is terrible. I hate this. Oops. (laughs) And he's like, no, I I liked it. We could do that whenever you want. (laughs) He has no regrets. But then in her post-orgasmic clarity, she reaches that epiphany moment that he disrupted the other day where she combines the info from Malcolm's notes and her notes. And she realizes that the senator and his friend are working to build a new ironclad ship to break the blockade. Because the biggest issue for the South at this point is that their resources are all blocked off. So they're starving. Everyone in Richmond is starving. So it's not like a only the only the Confederates are starving or Confederates. No, no, everyone yeah, they're blocked off. There's no nothing coming in. Yeah, shit rolls downhill or wood if there was food to eat. Yeah, and I mean, they were farming non-edibles. There was a funny part, though, where when she gets the epiphany, she shouts, or she doesn't shout, but she whisper shouts, ironclad. <laughs> and Malcolm adjusts his erection and he's like, I'm not familiar with that <laughs> euphemism, but I'm not opposed to it. <laughs> But she's, like, so far away from, you know, his dick right now. Well, I mean, and to be fair, ironclads were a little bit submerged, so. (laughs) But then as he leaves, he has this little flippant comment with McTavish where he says, apologies, but she decided to let me live. (laughs) I don't think McTavish necessarily thinks that's a good idea, but he... (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot related to the ironclad because they get to work together and get information and have the feels for each other because, oh no, they might be in danger. Yeah, but they're they're currently, they're trying to gather proof that this is Yes, a they thing. need information. That's they need the, stats. That's the thing. Like they're passing, they're passing along the intel that it could be a thing, but now they want to, to prove that it is a thing or probably a thing at the very least but Elle gets some really good information because the man who is working on building the ironclad who's named Dix D-I-X get your mind out of the gutter people yes (laughs) his slave Ben is the cousin of one of the slaves that works at the Caffrey's house And so he is visiting with them while Dix is there visiting with the senator's family. Basically confirms that that's what it is. That evening, as he's saddling the horse to get his master (laughs) home, 
He asks Elle if she needs a ride. Malcolm sees this and he's jelly. Which is, come on. He, he's he's briefly jelly, and then he improves. Uh, he's jelly, but Elle rips him a new one over it later. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, dude, I watch you flirting with Susie day in and day out, and whatever. Yeah, like, she has to stand there, like, serving punch while he recites poetry to Susie. And, I mean, meanwhile, he's just going in his head, like, Elle knows this is for her, right? Hopefully she'll understand. <laughs> But when she gets home, she's she's doing her stuff. It's in the dark. She lights a candle and she's like, oh shit. Because guess who's sitting on her bed? Santa? Malcolm. Oh. Malcolm let himself in. <laughs> well, so does Santa, if you believe. She rips him a new one over his jealousy. He's like, I'm sorry again. <laughs> I possess all of the apologies. And then, I mean, this this argument is basically like foreplay, I think, because it turns into him washing her and then them making out and then they start having sex. But then she has like this moment where she starts freaking out. She's having like a panic attack. And so they stop and she's like, I can't stop thinking. I've been taught my whole life that this is wrong. Guys like you only want women like me for one thing. And what if that's true? And there's a good quote here that I highlighted that's from his perspective that says, no matter what angle their relationship was viewed from, he ultimately held the power, even if he chose not to wield it. She's again, she's like, maybe we just shouldn't do this. And he's like, well, it's too late for me, but I'll do what you want me to do. (laughs) Whichever thing you choose, but it'll suck if you choose you don't want me. (laughs) And she's like, well, you just want my body. And he's like, I want all of you but I'll take whatever scraps you give me. And so they kind of have like this. It's really sweet. She's like sharing stuff about her, like her favorite color and her favorite book and her favorite season and all this stuff. They start having sex again and she feels more comfortable because they're having like this intimacy. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's not just physical. They're having like, you know, the emotional intimacy. They're communicating with each other too. So this is one of those sex scenes that really, I think, pushes the story forward. Like the couple, the story of the couple getting together. I think this is the moment where she tips over the edge. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I thought that was a good scene. He is sure. At this point, he's sure he's in love with her. She, I think, at this point is in love with him too but she doesn't even think it well yeah and i mean we can understand why that might be because oh yeah repercussions for her vastly different than for him like absolutely on a level that's difficult to conceptualize yeah so then they go on a little journey she pretends to be sick so she doesn't have to go to the caffrey's household and then she dresses up like a like a boy and they go off to get some more intel about the ironclad so they can get some more proof or whatever they have a good day it's kind of not like i don't know like that part isn't like terribly eventful like they meet some soldiers and pretend they're lost and the soldier gives them directions to the molasses factory which is an address that l remembered like from a label she read a million years ago <laughs> <laughs> She gives him a hand job off the side of the road. And unfortunately, because of this, they're not being particularly observant. So as they continue their journey, 
they ran into a group of scary dudes, aka slavers, aka assholes, who grab L, you're coming with us, type of thing. Ugh. Malcolm is wearing gray. He's like, why are you taking my my property? This is mine. Leave us alone. And the guy is like, your uniform is the only reason I haven't killed you. Just cut your losses and move along. Things will be cut, but it won't be my losses. <laughs> L at this point is like, yes, just move along because one of us has to pass along this information and it looks like it's going to have to be you. <laughs> yeah (laughs) she communicates this to him and he's like you expect me to leave you i will not he's having a hero moment right yeah there's a bit of a struggle her hat falls off her hair like blooms out it's got ladies hair and they're like oh it's a woman well then yeah because she's been traveling as a guy to like hopefully avoid attention to avoid the rapey rapey Yes. Malcolm distracts the guy holding her. She manages to twist her sack around that has the gun in it and shoots the guy holding her. He dies. Malcolm shoots one of the other dudes. And then the third guy gets knocked over, run over, I think, by the horse. Yay, horse. (laughs) Yeah, Malcolm goes to shoot him in the head. And Elle feels bad about killing a third dude. And so she's like, let's just leave him. And Malcolm stupidly agrees. That is one of those moments where I'm like, oh. <laughs> and as they're riding off, she gets her skull grazed by a bullet. Yeah. He sneaks her into his hotel room, sews her up, gets her clean. And then she has to sneak out. She has to do the sneaky sneaky. <laughs> this is where I think she's starting to feel like she's all in with him at this point. Because she has this thought of if timothy or anyone else in the league learned of what had passed between her and malcolm and didn't like it they could find someone else with a steel trap memory to assist them mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so they yeah, she, she does the sneaky sneaky she makes it back to the caffrey's household and gets confronted by mary who's like yeah i heard you were sick yesterday and i went to bring you some medicine and you weren't there i had a different kind of sickness <laughs> <laughs> Mary's worried that she's being seduced by the handsome rebel soldier. You know, she's got like this, again, kind of like a maternal or big sisterly sort of role with her. Mary's trying to look out for Elle's best interests. Meanwhile, at the hotel where Malcolm is, he's washing up and who shows up in his room? Susie! I was going to say Santa. Fucking Susie. (laughs) No, not Santa. Santa does not exist in Civil War era United States. I'm sure some version of Santa existed. They are too poor and too racist. Okay, fine. They don't get Santa. They all get cold. (laughs) They all get Krampus. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, Susie shows up. She's basically trying to press her suit here. She's like, you keep putting me off. I want to get some. Why won't you give me some? See, she's incredibly bold. She's very forward. Oh my gosh. Yeah, he's like, I'll walk you to your coach because I was just leaving. 
And she basically makes an appointment with him for that evening. She's like, you better put out this evening at the ball or else there will be hell to pay for you. Oh, Malcolm, what a pickle you've gotten yourself into. So at the ball, Mary tells Elle to be sure to talk to her later because if Elle needs help, then maybe Mary can help her. Elle figures out that Mary is planning an escape that night. She also gets... Um, to wait on Caffrey and Dix while they're meeting separately. And she gets proof, the proof that she needs, the timetable for the ironclad. Dun, dun, dun. So she can pass it on back to Malcolm. (laughs) Things are going south with Susie. (laughs) But not the type of south she wants. (laughs) No. Uh, She, yeah, he refuses to put out, basically... And she's, she starts screaming rape, essentially. Yeah, she's, she's like, he's a traitor and he tried to rape me. She so deserves Krampus. He's a union spy and he's a rapist. He's terrible. Take him away. Oh, Susie Q. Caffrey's guys take him and lock him in the basement. <laughs> they basically take him to the dungeon. <laughs> <laughs> and for you, the shackles. <laughs> Elle finds out that he's captured and she's like, well, I have to save him. And Timothy is like, um, no, you can't risk saving the union for this dude. Like, that's not cool, man. He's not worth it. But I love him. And this is when Elle outs herself to Mary and tells her the truth and that she's a spy. She needs her help. And so they make this plan because Mary made this plan that her husband, Robert, um, is a ship. ship? He's a smuggler. Because of the blockade, it's hard to get certain things. So he's one of those people that will, because he has a ship, go bring things in that people want. He's kind of like a pirate. Okay. So her husband, Robert, is going to take the ship down the river where they're going to meet him and he's going to load them all up and hide them. And they're going to go up north and fly the white flag and hope they don't get killed. (laughs) That is their best plan. You know, it's a plan. It is a plan. Yes. So they agree that if, if Elle is able to free Malcolm in time and meet them at the spot in time... Malcolm will be allowed to board the ship, even though he's white. Rufus, who we didn't really talk about much before, but Rufus has been like a hanger-on of Susie's throughout this whole book. Hey, he's smitten with her. God knows why. (laughs) Yeah, he's in love with Susie. He hates that she flirts with everyone. And he's threatened Malcolm a couple times. I'm not even remotely sympathetic to Rufus, but at the same time, I'm like, dude, she's so not interested. Catch on. He's dumb. Like, yeah, at least as far as Susie is concerned, he's dumb. Yeah, his intelligence doesn't go to 11. But he goes down to the basement to talk to Malcolm and reveals that he's a member of the Sons of the Confederacy, which is a group that doesn't mind torturing information out of Union spies. And so Malcolm's like, oh, great. I'm not going to just die. They're not going to just hang me. I'm going to get a little torture in first. Hooray. (laughs) Rufus starts beating on him and is asking him, are there any other detectives? Malcolm is refusing to answer. And then all of a sudden there's a call from upstairs that the house is on fire. (laughs) 
Rufus says, well, I'm awfully tired, and since you say you don't know anything, I'll just leave you here while I go check on the fire, and, you know, it's too bad if no one remembers there's a yank down here. Have fun burning alive. Bye. Enjoy dying in a fire. <laughs> See ya. He leaves. Elle comes in. She orchestrated here the fire. She comes to save the day. She's working on picking his locks, and he's like, I love you. And she's all, shut up. I'm listening. I'm trying to pick this lock. Focus. <laughs> but then after she does get him free, she says, I love you too. Aww. They escape. They get to the meeting place. And while the boat comes up, they're almost there. Guess who shows up? Santa. <laughs> no. <laughs> Another S word. Satan? The slaver. Oh. <laughs> Close. Shithead. <laughs> ding, ding. <laughs> the slaver that they took pity on last time. Yeah. Should have trampled him to death. Ellen and I, not the same person. It's like, no, no, you should have killed that guy. Why didn't they kill that guy? They start loading everyone on the boat to get to the ship. They look like they're going to escape. The slaver is shooting at them, but he's at a far enough distance that his aim is negligible. They're getting up. They're all on the ship except for Malcolm. He's almost there. Elle reaches out her hand to help him aboard. Malcolm gets the gotcha because he's like, ah, she's funny. <laughs> she's mine. And then he hoists himself over and someone below deck who didn't realize that yes we are allowing this one particular white dude on board he's probably still in gray uniform yeah i mean i think it was justified oh yeah but I... he freaks the fuck yeah. out and shoots malcolm <laughs> whoops <laughs> and malcolm falls off the ship into the water and plunges into icy darkness uh-oh and then everyone on the ship is like sorry <laughs> l we can't get him because we have to keep going the good of the many, not the few. Uh, yeah, basically. I mean, they feel bad for her, but at the same time, they're like, uh, freedom. Hello. If they stop, they're fucked. Like, they can't. They yeah, can't they're stop. all dead. Yeah. There, there's <laughs> dead or worse. Like, there, there's no stopping. <laughs> Robert, who is now the captain of the ship because he's stolen it and it's his ship now, takes the time yes. to talk to Elle and he says, I imagine he wears the tightest pants. He says, that does make sense and it's not as creepy as. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Firefly Serenity thing. That's with Captain Mal, tight pants. <laughs> so he, he even comes up to bridges. her. Daniel even tight comes bridges. up to her and explains, explains. <laughs> I'm still stuck on the tight pants. Sorry. <laughs> Can you stop? I'm trying to be serious. <laughs> I'm stuck on exceedingly tight britches. Sorry. Moving on. Let me spit this out, please. I'll do my best, but I promise nothing. I'm going to make you start editing. No. <laughs> Robert, Mary's husband, takes the time to talk to Elle and explain, you know, he feels bad about having to leave him behind but he promised that he would save the men and their families on the ship and if he stopped to search for malcolm then he'd be breaking the promise he starts to say now maybe and then he doesn't say anything he's like never mind just rest here and so he goes off and Elle is just mourning essentially yeah she's distraught yeah she can't 
fix it. <laughs> but it turns out that he, that, that Malcolm got caught up in the ropes hanging off the side of the ship and they were able to fish him out and he wasn't quite dead. Oh, look, a hanger on. <laughs> yeah, he's not dead yet. <laughs> he's mostly dead. Yeah, Malcolm wakes up, sees Elle. He's like, I promised I wouldn't leave you. And she's like, oh, no. And so she's like, I, I kind of believe you now. <laughs> <laughs> you had to almost die, but now I believe you. Huzzah. And he says, so if I tell you that I plan to love and honor you forever, no matter the hardship, would you finally believe me? And she says, I would. And he says, do you think the captain will marry us? The law won't recognize it, but Mary's husband can sanctify our union. And I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> and then Malcolm has the chance to claim Elle in front of someone else. A union got, excuse me, I forgot to say. By the time this happened, they've already, you know, hung white flag and gotten rescued by the union. Yeah, the dudes. union at the last second decides not to shoot all the black people on the boat. So a union soldier, white dude, comes in, doctor, says, I can take over from here, girl. And Malcolm says, she's my wife and she'll stay. <laughs> so Malcolm does her right. He's like, I don't care. You're my wife. Fuck the world. She's like, you don't have pants on, dude. Doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> he's like get robert in here we're getting married right now <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i love how robert marries them because I he's know. like <laughs> i'll just read it because it's so good <laughs> so robert is like well i'm not sure that you know i have the power to marry you anywhere that'll be recognized aside from right here on this ship but <laughs> i'll do it <laughs> And then it says, Robert drew himself up and was back to his commanding role of captain. He looked at both of them very seriously and for such a long time that Elle nearly quailed. You all are married. <laughs> Malcolm looked at Elle, then back at Robert. Is that it? Yes. It doesn't feel any different, does it? That comes with time, he said. Oh, I did forget something. Kiss the bride. <laughs> it's so cute. Best wedding ever. It is. It's a good wedding. <laughs> and then we get an epilogue that takes place in April. So all of this happened between January and April. Elle is hanging out in Malcolm's home with Malcolm's mother and his sibling. One of his siblings. Yeah, I think just the sister, not the brother. He just has the two, right? Yes. Oh, and Malcolm took Elle's last name. Aww. Partly because his name, he's known as a spy now, so he had to change his name. But it's also cute. I think it's cute. He's such a smitten kitten. Once Malcolm is totally healed, they're planning to work together as a team. This will be a dynamic duo. Malcolm's mom is kind of like, oh, this is interesting that my daughter-in-law is black, but... I'm rolling with it. And she's actually really nice. Yeah, she is. Like, I think initially weirded out because it's like not done, but not like against it. Well, it would be a surprise. Like culturally, <laughs> it would be. Yeah. I mean, they commented that Malcolm and Elle legally couldn't get married, but for bullshit reasons, like slaves couldn't get married. Like their marriages, their unions, their romantic unions were not recognized. So they're married in their hearts, which is the only place where it really matters. Yes. The rest is just paperwork. Although the tax break is nice. <laughs> and then they get a note from Malcolm's brother, who is a, was he a soldier? 
Yes, he's with the Union Army. His name is Ewan. Yes, so he signed up to be a boy in blue, and he has been captured. Yes. By the South. But that will be a story for book two. The end. Ta-da! I think one important thing throughout the story is that there is like this power imbalance by default simply due to the setting yeah and who the characters are within their relationship there's also a a quote-unquote power imbalance but it's in Elle's favor yeah because he loves her more yeah initially I think I think still he loves her more (laughs) yeah probably I think if we had a book where they were, you know, being a husband and wife super spy team and she had to leave him, I think she'd be more likely to leave him than him her. I don't know because she doesn't leave him then. Yeah, she does set the house on fire. That's a good point. He's more affectionate. I think he'd be the romantic in the relationship, so to speak. I think she's just more guarded. Once she feels the love for a while, I don't know if that necessarily would be as true. Plus, I mean, even out in public, it's not like they could be uber affectionate either because of the time period. Yeah. So really the only time... He did get the gotcha. Yes. He got the gotcha. The thing I really liked about how the power imbalance was handled in this book, though, is that it was acknowledged by the couple throughout. Yeah. Like Malcolm acknowledges it. They discuss it. They have the the sex scene where they kind of push through it a bit. But it's acknowledged that it's a thing that they're always going to have to deal with, at least as far as everyone else is concerned. The other thing, too, is that for Malcolm, he does see them as equals, or he even sees Al as, like, more capable and intelligent and everything than he is. How is the audiobook this time? The audiobook is narrated by Karen Chilton. She did a really good job. Like, I think she and... Alyssa Cole, the author, are a really good pair. She brings life to the author's work. She really did. She was Elle. She was an exceptional Elle. She did, you know, a great job with Malcolm. I mean, it's weird to say that she did an awesome job with Susie because <laughs> Susie's so <laughs> dislikable. She did an effective job. <laughs> no, I thought she was really good. I enjoyed a lot of her nice. narration. Does she narrate the other two books in the series? She does. Chilton and Cole are just really, I don't know what it is about that pairing that works really well, but I did look up on Audible and I think Karen Chilton actually narrates like all of her other books. Oh, really? So they have a a long-term relationship. Yeah. I don't know. It's one of those like je ne sais quoi things. Like, yeah, whatever it is, it was enough to to make me look things up. So are you happy for their happy, Em? I definitely feel that this couple earned their happiness and- I mean, you get some sense of what their happily ever after looks like, at least behind closed doors, because society. But I'm very happy for them, and I, I want them to have a lovely happily ever after, whatever that would be, you know, which probably is doing daring things, given that they like to spy and whatnot. What about you? I am very happy for their happy. I think we got a lot of good couple time in throughout the action-packed story. But I must admit that throughout the story, like even before I picked up this book, I was like, I just don't see how this is going to have a happily ever after. Like, yeah, (laughs) this just isn't a thing. Like this setting, these characters, how how is the author going to make this work? Yeah, I know you were dubious. Yeah. And 
I think the author does a really good job and they're believably together at the end, which I was shocked by, to be honest. I'm still a little dubious about the lastingness of their happiness <laughs> because of the time period and the setting and everything, because of the world that they live in. Yeah. Um, and the fact that, you know, they want kids someday and stuff like that. And what is that going to look like for them? They go out west. I don't know. They get a ranch. <laughs> I've already written in my head. Yeah. <laughs> Em's got the fan fiction spin-off yes. already. So, I mean, yeah, it's possible that they could, like, go off and be happy or whatever, but I, I worry about them, too. I know I worry about them. Like, I'm happy, but I'm worried. I know. Yeah, no. Same. Where you're just like, I... Mm. <laughs> So how do you rate them? How do you rate Elle? I put her as awesome. I loved Elle. She has her... It's not just her memory, like... I really appreciated how brave she was. Yes. Like, she's, she was very passionate and bold. Determined and resourceful. She wanted to change the world for the better. She did. And I just kept thinking, like, Elle is a hero. Yes. I know, like, female heroes are often given the title of heroine, but as far as I know, hero is non-gender specific. But it just really feels like Elle is a hero. Like, I was rooting for her from the beginning. I was happy for her when she fell in love. I felt like she deserved that and earned it. You know, like, sometimes with love stories, you're like, I don't know if you deserve that happy ending. But with Elle, I'm like, yes. Yeah, she deserves, <laughs> she deserves all the happy. Can we give her all the happy? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. How did you rate Elle? I rated her as awesome as well for all those reasons that we just mentioned. She was just amazing. I really liked that she drove her story. She was willing to die for what she believed yeah. in. Believably ready. It felt like like she had a reason to. Yeah, she felt like a fully formed awesome character. Yeah, she really did. How would you rate Malcolm? I teetered a little bit, but I did eventually settle on awesome. Because, you know, like with, with every couple, there's always like the, the one character that's a bit more interesting. That's just the... Yes. <laughs> Nine times out of ten, it's usually, if it's a hetero couple, the dude. In this case, <laughs> Elle, is, Elle is the more interesting, cool character. But Malcolm is great. Like, he supports her. He listens to her. He apologizes. He is allowed to have his emotions too and his voice. I really, really liked that. You definitely could tell like Ella's the sterner character. If they had kids in the future, you could definitely see where she would probably be more the disciplinarian, although that shouldn't necessarily, you know <laughs> what I mean? And he would be the, yeah, yeah, get away with this, yeah. get away with that. Like, <laughs> he'd be the fun yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it shouldn't come down in those terms, but sometimes it does. <laughs> what about you? I like that they're already having kids in your head. I told you, like, I've got them uh -huh. living in a ranch <laughs> and having fun being, you know, spies. Yes. So for me, I rated him awesome as well. I agree with you that Elle is the more interesting character, but it's kind of like like a duet like one of the players has to stand back to help the other player yeah. shine and in this type of story with such a great power imbalance that is just embedded in the setting mm -hmm. it really had to be him standing yeah, back i agree i think for it to to be a good story 
I think the author did a good job with it because you're right. He's still he's still a well-rounded, fully-fledged character. He still feels like a person. He's in touch with his feelings. He's sweet and goofy and dopey <laughs> and all in. Yeah, I think Cole, throughout the story, did an excellent job at humanizing her characters. Yeah, she really did. And even the even the less savory ones. Yeah, even the shitheads. Yeah. Felt very real. <laughs> Susie and the shitheads. What about the villains in the story? Because we do have villains this time. We do. We definitely have some villainy villains. The shitty slavers and Susie and... I don't know, like... In how they were executed, uh, they should be executed. <laughs> I would put the, I would put like just to kind of lump them all together. I would put them as awesome, like they're well done, effective. Yes, not that I'm like yay villainy, although sometimes depending on the book, but not in this case. Right. Like I said, I thought they were really good. You really don't like Susie. Susie's a shit. And oh, yet yeah. they there is this moment where Susie gets mistreated by her mom. Like she full on gets yeah, smacked you by her. Yeah, kind of feel a little bad for her. Yeah, where you're just like, oh, uh, you know, behind closed doors. It makes Susie's behavior make sense. It's I'm not necessarily saying I sympathize with her all that much, but at the same time... Well, I especially appreciated that moment because it turned Susie from like a mustachio, you know, he 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 villain to a, a human. Yes. What about you? I, I know you have your villain list. I am, I am awaiting. <laughs> I don't have too many things on my list, but they're big things because at the top I put the institution of slavery. <laughs> yeah, basically the time period and <laughs> the setting. <laughs> because... I mean, yeah, because, I mean, that's, like, the main <laughs> thing in the story. That's what's keeping them apart. That's what's causing all the bad things to happen. Yes. <laughs> it's bad. Yeah. But as far as as far as far people go, I have Susie and the slavers, specifically the group that try to capture Elle, and then the two die, and then the third one keeps being a pain in their ass and rufus because i mean we talked about Susie. i think i think you did a pretty good job explaining why Susie's so terrible um and effective yeah <laughs> the, the slavers i think were good too because it brought um like it put a face on it yeah you know instead of just talking about you know slavery as a theme and that kind of thing it put a face on the other side of it which i mean we do see that a lot more in culture that we see the the slave side yeah we do but they are cast as villains and they're appropriately villainous and scary and terrifying and there's one point where malcolm tries to reason with them and they're just like no no that doesn't make sense <laughs> yeah they can't be reasoned with <laughs> Yeah, they just can't like they're so caught up in no this is what we know this is what's right to us doesn't matter but yeah so i i appreciated that that the author had these characters of the slavers actually interacting with the heroes because it made it that much more real and visceral it did and then rufus was a great like surprise villain to me <laughs> yeah because he he lingers but he's not he, he gets discounted a lot because of course Susie's just like oh Rufus yeah 
And so as as a reader, I was like, ah, he's stupid. He's lame. Turns out he's basically a spy, too. Yeah. So that was a pretty fun uh, little reveal. And I kind of wonder what happens with him. I haven't read the other two books. I wonder if he pops up again or not. I could tell you, but you don't want to be spoiled. So how do you rate the book this time? I rated the book a five. Wow. I know. That may or may not surprise. That's amazing. Yeah, I I really enjoyed it. I mean, you had all... I like the couple. I like the external threats, which, of course, felt real in uncomfortable ways. Um, but that's... It should. <laughs> that is appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be a little weird if it didn't. As you know, like, I went on to, to read the rest of the series. I want more. There are only three books. But this rating is for this book. <laughs> <laughs> Thought it was very well done. And, yeah, I love Elle. <laughs> and Malcolm. I love them together. What about you? How did you rate the book? I rated it a four. Yay! And I also really, really loved it. I thought it was great. I think the reason I rated it a little down was because I still, like, I didn't get, like, that, ah, they're happy forever now sort of feeling at the end. Mm. Okay. It was more like, I hope they're happy. Good luck, guys. I think that's where it's like, that's why my brain was just like, well, of course they they move out west. (laughs) You know, I think that's where my brain was like, no, no, it'll work. And you're like, see, I fixed it. Yes. <laughs> so did you feel romanced? Or should I say romanced? I'm nervous. <laughs> I did feel romanced. Yay. Yeah, I did. I was a little worried again before I started this book. I think because, I don't know, the setting was scary to me. <laughs> I shouldn't say it's not a typical setting because lots of romances have been set in the Civil War, but it definitely different characters. <laughs> yeah, you get a very different viewpoint, which I really enjoyed. I thought it was amazing. Yeah, me too. I really liked the characters together. I really liked their chemistry. I really felt for poor Malcolm's puppy dogness. Like every time she rejects him, and he's like, "Come on, throw me a bone, please." <laughs> I know. He was so into Elle, and Elle was just understandably reserved in her feelings. She's like, I'm into you, but you cannot know. But it created great tension for the couple. It did. And that ending part, right before he got shot, and he thinks, gotcha. I'm just like, yes! And then he gets shot, and I'm like, no! (laughs) I know, I loved it! (laughs) I'm a terrible reader. <laughs> I think you're exactly the type of reader Cole wants. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> what about you? Did you feel romanced? I did. <gasps> yeah, I thought Elle was inspiring and Malcolm was engaging. And I love like all the tension and the forbiddenness, which it shouldn't have been forbidden, but it was. Yeah. But that fed into the atmosphere. I mean, it was great. So, yes, I felt romance. I am so happy. See, it does happen. It does happen. <laughs> That's like the happily ever after for me. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so what else have you been reading? Well, I did because it was it was frequently mentioned in the book. I went back and, I don't know, reread, re-listened, whatever. Uh, the Art of War by Sun Tzu, which... I first read it like in high school and it struck me weird then still strikes me weird now 
that that book, The Art of War, is listed as a business book. That actually makes sense to me. <laughs> it strikes me as weird because I'm like, okay, so what? Captains of industry? Like, is this... Nowadays. Anyway, and it's like, it's a slip of a book. Like, you can find other versions where people put their two cents in, but the the actual book is wicked small. Right. It's all about deception. It's it's cool. Look over there where we're over here. Um... <laughs> And I also read, so I was inspired by this book to read more, which is always a good thing. And I went on to read by Lois Levine, The Secrets of Mary Bowser. That book is a historical fiction. So Mary Bowser was a slave who, amongst other things, worked in Confederate President Jefferson Davis's house and helped to send information to the Union. So she allegedly had an eidetic memory. I think she is attributed to burning their house down, but I don't know if that is accurate. <laughs> nice. And so the book itself, like, starts with Mary as a young girl and into her adulthood. It was super interesting and really, really good and yay. Yeah, it's interesting because the, um, the author's note at the end of An Extraordinary Union says that the character of Al was based on the historical figure Mary Bowser and some of the other characters in her book were based on other real people as well. And so it's kind of fun to see um, multiple authors' takes on it, I would imagine. The funny thing is, is in the audiobook, or maybe it was there and I just didn't catch it, like Mary Bowser wasn't mentioned, so... That was interesting. Yeah, I like that Mary Bowser is attributed to burning his house down because guess what Elle did? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's the thing. That's so tricky when you have like like people from history and people of color in history. Like, like a lot of things are attributed to Mary that maybe she did and maybe she didn't. You know what really happened is probably way more interesting than what we think happened, but it's hard to know because there isn't a lot of information. But from what I understand in an article that I read, Levine actually intends to write a nonfiction biography of her. If Hopefully she's working on it. Hopefully she gets it written. Oh, nice. I'd read it. So what, what are you reading? A while ago I finished... Um, a memoir called Educated by Tara Westover. And I know you read a lot of nonfiction, but I typically don't. But one nonfiction genre that I do rather appreciate are memoirs. And I oh, think me too. it's because the method of storytelling is a lot more fiction-y. <laughs> um, <laughs> but this book is about the author, Tara, who grew up in a family of basically survivalists, like preppers, kind of. Oh, okay. They were wary of having like a Ruby Ridge sort of scenario okay. and stockpiled their home and issued medical attention and schools and all sorts of things. There are several times that people in her family have serious injuries that it just go untreated properly. But Tara is very smart and she starts educating herself and teaches herself enough math and grammar to be admitted to BYU. Oh, wow. Okay. Good for her. And that was like the first time she went to school at all. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. And that was, like, the first time she learned about, like, the Holocaust. And she, like, commits, like, this total faux pas 
in class because she has no idea what it is. Oh, okay. <laughs> but it's basically about like her life growing up, what it was like, and her exit from that life and her journey on being educated. Okay. Oh, that sounds really interesting. It's really, really good. It's really well written. Yeah, she's very good storyteller and has had a very, very fascinating life. Even though there are things about her family that that's horrible. Like there's things that happen that you're just like, Oh my God, you know, you don't really get like a judgmental perspective from her whatsoever. She tells it very straightforward and lets events stand on their own and lets the reader feel what they feel. Yeah. Okay. Which, fair enough. I really appreciate that about uh, memoirs because a lot of times an author, you know, they're writing about themselves. They will put, like, a personalized spin on it. It's hard not to if it's your Yeah, life. it's hard not to. And you get, like, someone in your head, you know, or try to let them in your head or whatever. But I really appreciate it when an author will write a memoir and they're very much, these things happened. The starkness of it makes it more powerful to me yeah i think it's good if if they can have that i don't know if detachment is the right way a bit yeah but like can separate themselves enough to allow the reader to make their own impressions rather than trying to convince the reader of what to think or feel about something totally all right that's it for this time check out our website romancemepodcast.com for show notes, other episodes, and our upcoming reads. Join us next time when we discuss The Roommate by Rosie Dannon. Bye. Bye. I actually feared for their lives in this one, Ev. What? Their happily ever after was at stake. Yeah. It hurt. <laughs> I know. No wonder you were romanced. <laughs> <laughs> evil vixen. <laughs> I, I have long since accepted the fact that, you know, if the robots take over the world, like, whatever, and we live in the Matrix, I'm definitely one of those assholes that's like, no, no, you can't make it perfect, because I won't accept it. <laughs> <laughs>